We're two weeks into a four-week series that we're calling Masterpiece in the Making, and in case you haven't gotten it yet, we're talking about us, because God's building a masterpiece here, and this gives us an opportunity to brag about God and to brag about the things that He's done in us and through us. So I'm going to just talk real briefly about a passage of Scripture, and then I'm going to tell you a couple of gateway stories, because this month gives us an opportunity to rehearse and remember our history and to remember what God has done among us. And I don't have time to tell you all that I was going to tell you this morning. Maybe we'll save that for another time, but I will tell you a couple of things that are just awesome that, that God has done among us. An atomic clock. That's a device that uses electronic transition frequency in the microwave, optical, or ultraviolet region of the electromagnetic spectrum of atoms as a frequency standard for its timekeeping elements. So says Wikipedia. Now, you don't need to really understand that, much less remember it, but the critical thing to remember is that atomic clocks are incredibly reliable. They're the most accurate time and frequency standards known, and they're used as the primary standard in many kinds of settings today. For example, they're used to control the the wave frequency of television broadcasts. They're used in global navigational satellite systems like the GPS. The most reliable atomic clocks can maintain an accuracy to within... 10 to the negative 9 seconds per day. That's an approximate time loss on the order of one part in 10 to the 14. That's a number that's too small to even conceive of. In terms of its delivery against its objective, in terms of its ability, in other words, to keep time relative to actual time within the universe, the atomic clock represents an almost unimaginable faithfulness. And yet the Bible tells us, if it's to be believed, and I believe it is, that God is more faithful than an atomic clock. He's unchanging, we're told. There's absolutely no shadow. There's no hint of a turning in Him. He's a rock, unmovable, perfect in all His ways. And all of those images are they're ransacking the language to figure out images to describe absolute faithfulness. King David was so sure of this truth that in Psalm 26.3, he's able to sing, I have always been mindful of your unfailing love and have lived my life in reliance on your faithfulness. This morning, I want us to look at an intoxicating passage of Scripture. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 7, and Deuteronomy is Moses' last sermon right before the children of Israel are about to go into the promised land, and Moses delivers a lengthy probably series of messages and just incredible uh, theology and picture of God in this. And I'm going to read the first six verses because I want you to hear the backdrop. And then I'm going to ask you to stand with me out of reverence for God's word for verses 7 through 13. But listen to this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Moses writing this as an old man, so he's seen a lot. And he's still willing to say this. Okay, when the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess, and when he drives out before you, listen to the confidence, many nations, the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, seven nations, larger and stronger than yourselves. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. I'm not going to comment on all that. That's one of the ways that God sometimes gets a bad reputation. Make no treaty with them and show them no mercy. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters to your sons for they'll turn your sons away from following me and to serve other gods, etc. I want you to break down their idols. I want you to destroy everything when you go in because you're going to go in and you're going to take them over. Now verses 7 through 13. Let's hear this. Stand with me if you would. 
The Lord did not, set, and this is a word for us, the Lord did not set His affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people. Which would have been a typical symbol of success in the ancient Near East. How do you know if you're a successful nation? Well, you're big. You own a lot of territory and you're more numerous than anybody else. Well, that's not why God set His affection on you and chose you. It's not because you're more numerous. It's not because the rooms in your house are they're more than the rooms in the average home in Oklahoma. It's not because your bank account is larger. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. Let's stop there. You may be seated. Okay. Two points we absolutely have to get before we tell any stories. We won't go through the rest of it, but two points we absolutely have to get that must be made, and I think they are applicable for you and I. They're big picture theological points, granted, but they make a difference to Monday morning when your feet hit the ground. First point is we have to remember and acknowledge why did the Lord love the Israelites? Because it's the same for us. And we get what seems at first blush like a what? The sort of backward, loopy, circular answer. Basically, he's saying, it's not because you were more numerous, not because you're more successful, not because you got it right, not even because you were religious. Basically, the Lord loved them because He loved them. And because He was faithful to Himself and to His own Word. In fact, it had strikingly little to do with you. Well, this is a shocking truth for you and I. If we allow this to reverberate, to really get our minds, this is unnerving. We want to be loved because we're clever. We want to be loved because we're more attractive. We want to be loved because we're more successful. And God is telling us plainly, look, I've loved you because I've loved you. And because I'm faithful to what I say. I've loved you because of me, because of my character, because of who I am. It's important for us to know what the Bible means when it says the Lord loved you. The Lord loves you. Biblically, this means more than just that God has warm feelings about you. God has warm feelings about everyone. He says at one point, one of Jesus' best friends, Peter, says at one point in the New Testament, God doesn't want anybody to not have life. He doesn't want anybody to perish. But some, he loves in a way that he pours his blessing on them. He chooses them as a biblical word. Last week we talked about calling. God calls them. He guards and directs their lives. He interacts with them. And a number of you know who I'm talking about. I see a couple of handfuls of people here today who I met the first time they came into Gateway and they came up to me afterwards and shook my hand. For a couple of you, there were tears coming down your face. For others of you, there was just one of these great electric looks and Wow, that was awesome. And I have said to you, you know what? God is working in your life. I could recognize it from three feet away. I could see it in your face. I knew God was moving in your life. I could feel it. That's what it means when the Bible says He loved you. And you know why He did? Not because you came to do a religious thing. He loved you because He loved you. 
and because he's faithful. Because when he says something, he does it. That's why Moses is so confident about their future. Okay, look, I'm not going to do it because I'm an old man, but when you go in and you take the land, these seven nations are going to fall before you. They're bigger and stronger than you. We already know that. doesn't matter. God's going to do this thing. When you do that, you just got to you know, keep paying attention to him. Why is he so confident? Because God is faithful. Let, little parentheses, just an aside here. How can we be in that number? The number of people that God loves in this way. You know, the standard is not that high. Basically, the Bible says, seek him with your whole heart. Moses tells the Israelites this three chapters earlier in Deuteronomy. If you seek the Lord your God, you will find him. If you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. And this has got to be a big deal for God because he repeats himself in Jeremiah 29 and in Jesus in Matthew 7. The more of ourselves that we give over to seeking more of God, the more we get of God. I'm going to say that again. The more of ourselves that we give over to seeking more of God, the more of God we get. And the more of ourselves that we give over to seeking more of God, the more we learn to rely on Him and unlearn self-reliance. The more we press into God and take responsibility for our lives and for our choices and, and quit being victims and quit abdicating and giving up. Did you notice, in Lisa's story, I put myself in some bad places. If 29-year-old Lisa has, or I'm sorry, it's probably 16-year-old Lisa if we're doing the math, much earlier younger Lisa had been at a point in her life where she was saying, why have all these bad things happened to me? She would have never heard the invitation, the gentle, kind invitation, hey, join me in a place where you might be able to experience God's grace. The more we press into God and take responsibility for our lives and for our choices on the one hand, and quit abdicating and giving up on the other, the more we feel like our real self. Heaven above is... I don't remember all the lyrics, but you remember. There's a hue that appears that Christless eyes have never seen. We're new creatures. Real quick illustration. Diane and I are watching the Netflix series House of Cards which, by the way, features Lori Betzel. And in one episode, Kevin Spacey, who's a despicable character. It's an awesome show. It's hard to watch. You don't like anybody. And Kevin Spacey at one point says to this young politician, he's, he's an alcoholic, he's quit drinking now for a while, and he wants to be governor of Pennsylvania, I think. Anyway, so he, Kevin Spacey, who's a mover and shaker, and says to Kevin Spacey, you know, I want to do this thing. Kevin Spacey kind of tries to dismiss him, you know, you're not ready, I am, he's focused, he's ready, Kevin Spacey turns, walks away, grabs the door on the opposite end of the hall, and he says, turns back to him, it's an interesting line, turns back to him, he says, okay, he says, you know what, I feel like I've seen the real you for the first time. That's kind of the experience we have when we come to Christ. It's like the real us for the first time. The second thing we've got to know about this is God's faithfulness, God's faithfulness, his character, that he does what he says he's going to do. That's built on his sovereignty. And when the Bible uses that word sovereign or sovereignty, it means that he's king. We don't have a king in America. We don't understand this concept as much. But he's it. He holds everything in his hand. The universe continues to spin because God is actively involved. Not only involved, but controlling 
God is ultimately in control. That's a hard thing to believe if you really try to drill into it. But the Bible speaks with confidence about it and it has been the testimony of my life. And out of that sovereignty grows God's faithfulness because God is able to be faithful because He's sovereign. Because He's sovereign, He can do whatever it is that He says. The atomic clock is faithful because of technology. God is faithful because of His own sovereignty. That's why verse 9, Moses said, I won't, no, God is God. And He's faithful. So what's our part? Our part is to seek, to rely, and to wait. That's why we started this morning singing, Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. And I ask you to turn to one another. And I said, hey, tell somebody what it's like to wait on someone who's faithful versus waiting on someone who's not faithful. Just turn, turn and tell somebody that. And you felt goofy and you thought, I hate it when Ed asked us to do this. But you turned and you said, and you said something. But that's the deal. Our part is to wait on God. And we wait on Him because He's going to come through. And we can do all ever whatever it is that we do. And, you know, maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. And even if it happens, it doesn't happen. Our part is to wait on Him, to rely and to trust. God will fulfill His Word. God's faithful if we trust Him. So, we started Gateway. We actually, Delegate Ramadan is right, we actually started meeting in 1997. And we launched our first service, official, Gateway Church, in 1998. We did one of those things. This was during a period of time when a lot of churches were starting in America. And those of you who have been outside of church for years and years, you, you may not remember this, but during the late 90s and the early aughts in Northern Virginia, every single school in Fairfax County, and most of the schools in eastern Loudoun County had a church, a brand new church in them. And we were all sending the same postcards to you guys saying, hey, come, we got a groovy, relevant pastor. And we got great music and we got, seriously. And almost 70% of the churches in Northern Virginia have failed. You're going to find out next week when Alex is up here talking about our struggles why we should have failed. We haven't because God is faithful. And over this month, we want to tell you the truth. So next week, we're going to tell you some of the ugly truth. But this morning, we're going to tell you a couple of fun things. i got four stories I wanted to tell, but I'm only going to tell two. And that two is going to turn into like six and a half. But anyway, so we're meeting on Sunday mornings. We decide we're going to do the church planting kit, which a lot of churches across America are doing. And part of that is we're going to market ourselves. So that's probably in the 70s and 80s that the church learned to do Madison Avenue stuff and market itself. And for some of the largest churches in America, it worked. And they marketed themselves very, very well. But by the time you got to the mid-90s, the American, at least the American suburban landscape had largely changed, especially in an area like this. Now everywhere, even in the South. But the uh, suburban landscape had begun to change, and you guys just were more sophisticated. So you got these postcards, and you just instantly threw them away. But we didn't know that. So we got in touch with one of these companies, and we, I think it was 20,000 homes, wasn't it? We found a company in California that would tell us, you know, here's what you do, and you'll get 1% return, which isn't a lot, but, you know, be ready. So we sent out 20,000 postcards saying we got a relevant pastor and great kids program. Come see us. We were... 
over in Flores Elementary School in Herndon because it's the only place we could find to meet in, and it was god-awful and hellish. So we invite people anyway. We get all dressed up, and it's Easter Sunday morning, 1998. We've sent out our 20,000 postcards three times, 1% of 20,000. That's a lot of homes. So, you know, how in the world are we going to park everybody? What are we going to do with all the traffic to the nursery? We get all dressed up and we're ready to go. Not one single one of you showed up. Not a person. Can I say that again? Zero. I think Pete and Ashley Kim eventually came to us because of that postcard flurry, and it was worth it. So then we just began the slow, hard work of getting to know neighbors and saying, would you come? Because we have a relevant pastor <laughs> a great kids program. And little by little, people began to, to come to Gateway. But when I say little by little, I mean little by little. And about this time, a developer, a Northern Virginia developer, not nearly as handsome as Jan, a Northern Virginia developer calls me up and says, let's go to lunch. And I thought, awesome. He's heard how awesome I am, and he wants to be part of Gateways. This is great. I go out to lunch with him, and I'm thinking, how am I going to you know, tell him how he's going to get involved? And I cast vision for him, and we sit down, and I'm, I'm trying to do my pastor thing. He's got a computer and maps with him. And I kid you not, it took me 15 minutes to realize, wait a minute, this meeting wasn't about me. This meeting, he's trying to sell me a piece of property. And after a while, I said to this guy, you know, we'll call him Bob, I said, Bob, are you trying to sell me a piece of property? And he said, yes. And I gave him, you know, wise, godly answer. I'm not interested. And he said, you're an idiot. Churches in Northern Virginia need this. They don't have it. If you don't act on this, you're going to, 8, 10, 15 years from now, you're going to be at a place where you'll need it and you won't be able to afford what's out there. You've got to act on this. So now I give him the really spiritual answer. I say, Bob, I'm here to build a church, not a building. Which is true. So he says, you're an idiot, and he leaves. And he leaves lunch. And then what follows after that is he tries this with several other pastors and doesn't work. It's either the wrong place, or it's not what they want, or it's too much land. Imagine that. So these people turn him down, and he hears about this connection of Baptist churches that are kind of in northern Virginia area and we were loosely associated with this group and he goes to this group and he says look I've got this incredible deal on a piece of property it's way out in the sticks in Loudoun County at the time nothing here but he says you got to understand this piece of property is 25 years from now going to be on the corner of Center and Main Loudoun County in 35 years it's going to be on the corner of Center and Main Northern Virginia you got to act on this so they say, we've got a guy out there. Why don't you call him? <laughs> they say who it is, and I've talked to that idiot already. <laughs> so then he hears about this organization that's associated with Baptist churches throughout Virginia, a mission agency that's managing $20 million based on the gifts of people like my mother, school teachers throughout Virginia, who are just giving so that churches can grow and build gems and whatever to add to their building so he goes to this group and when I later heard about this group I thought this was going to be people like Jan like 
obnoxious developers and bankers and lawyers even, and stuff like that was going to be in this room. And it wasn't. It was people like my grandmother. Just godly people who are managing $20 million. And Bob comes in. He's dressed like Northern Virginia. He's talking real fast. You've got to buy this land. It's speculative. And they say, no, we don't do that. It's not part of our commission. We loan money to help churches expand. We don't loan money to buy land speculatively. You have to do this. If you don't do this, they'll never be. And so they say, well, we'll consider it if you bring us the person. Well, Bob doesn't have a person. (laughs) So he comes back to Northern Virginia and he calls me on the phone. He says, look, would you just do me a favor? God is behind this. I wanted to build a shopping mall on that property. And God told me, I'm going to raise up a church for this area on that property. So would you go down and just represent? Put on a tie, please. So we drive to Richmond. I go into this meeting, I'm inc- incredibly intimidated, until I walk in and I realize why he's not successful. This is my grandmother. I sit down, finally it comes to us. I stand up in the meeting, you know, they're asking me questions like, what is it you're going to do, young man? I was younger at the time and they were all much older. And I say, well, you know, we're come to Northern Virginia to plant a church. Oh, they sure need a church up there in Northern Virginia. Yes, they do. And so, if you were us... Son, what would you do? And Bob now terrorized because I say, I don't think I would do it. So sometimes God is faithful through us. And sometimes God is faithful above us and underneath us. And sometimes God is faithful in spite of us. And so they say, well, step outside in the hallway and we'll call you back in and let you know something. So we step out in the hallway. I think they're going to call us back in and say, you know, we'll consider this for the next month, come back a month from now, and we'll let you know our decision. We step outside five minutes, we come back in, and they say, we're going to buy it, and we'll hold it for you for five years. For you. For five years. What? Okay, so we bought a piece of property, 32 acres, right, Rob? 32 acres, $650,000. Do the math. That's pretty stinking good. It's worth a little more than that. In fact, it's north of 700000 now. It's way north of 700000 <laughs> So uh, they buy this piece of property for us, and we don't think about it. We forget about it. We really don't think much about it. We go to a conference in California, and uh, several families went with us that were part of our core group. The Eagles will be up in a minute making an announcement. They went with us. They went to a conference on how to plant a church at Saddleback Community Church, which is a church outside of L.A. that's started by Rick Warren. So Rick was doing this seminar on how to start a church, which I thought was not good. And didn't get much out of it except his very first comment. I'm not kidding you. So he stands up in this seminar. There, I don't know, there's two, maybe three, 4,000 pastors and church planting teams there. And Rick stands up, and he's got a whole, you know, it looks like a Bible, and it's, it's a seminar notebook where you fill in the blanks on all these things and he stands up and he he opens up and then he says you know what I'm going to go off script for a second and I'm going to say something that's not really part of the seminar I mean he's got a whole deal that we go through for that day but he says I just feel like I'm supposed to tell you that if I had this to do all over again the first thing I would do would be buy property and I looked at Diane and said you got to be kidding me (laughs) are you serious So, we had this piece of property, and that was the first time that I got a sense that 
God might be stirring something big among us. That God might be preparing us to do something awesome. That we may need to get ready because He's going to move. I didn't think He would wait this long. (laughs) But He's faithful. And so, our job, what's our job? Wait. And rely. And trust. All right, last story, and this one will be quick. Uh, we're meeting in Flores Elementary School. It is god-awful and hellish, and, I mean, it's really terrible. It's, it's one of those old Fairfax County elementary schools that we're meeting in the cafeteria because there's nowhere else to meet. They don't have an auditorium, and it smells like stale milk. And our children are in the gymnasium. We don't have many people at this point, but still. You know, you put nine kids, and we have a few more than that. We, you put nine kids in the gymnasium, and you try to divide them into age groups, and, you know, they hear their little brother on the other side of just a little curtain and hey is this a disaster and you know we're trying to pretend like we're a church and it smells like stale milk it's not good so we're looking for somewhere else to meet and I notice around the corner out on the edge of route uh, 28 they're building this building and I thought and I assumed it was going to be an office park because there are office parks all around this location it's right next to the Hilton on 28 for those of you who were never there with us and I see a building going up, and I thought, you know, in these office parks, there's bound to be, like, conference rooms and stuff like that that you can rent for a worship setting and for your kids. So I go out on this work site where they're breaking ground, and there's a bunch of people out there and earth movers, and I start walking around to do a prayer walk around the property to ask God, can you, you know, give us a place to meet in this building? Because this location would work. I'm walking around, some guy comes over to me, what are you doing? Who's have a hard hat on. I don't work here. Well, get out of here then. <laughs> so I leave, and I drive off, but every time we pass by, you know, God, give us... And after a while, I see this wooden sign up there that says, Future Fairfax County School. And I thought, you've got to be kidding. This is going to be a middle school. Awesome. We can use that. Fantastic. So I call up Fairfax County, the office where they rent their schools, and I'm super nice, and she's really ornery. And I say, hey, this is Ed Allen. You can't see it, but i got a big toothy grin. And we want to rent Rachel Carson Middle School. And I'm so nice. What do you think? And she says, well, I'll put you on the waiting list. Okay. How long is the waiting list? 37. Okay. So... She puts us on the waiting list. That next week, we had been getting to know Jeff and Heather DeJani. Jeff and Heather had been percolating on the idea of starting a church out of another church inside the Beltway, Columbia Baptist. And a core group had come together, and that had dissolved and and fallen apart. So I met with Jeff and Heather one time, and they said, you know, you should get with the guy who was going to start that church and just talk to him and see what he learned from the effort that didn't really get any lift. So I call him up, we go out to lunch, and you know, we're talking, he's a good guy, and over the course of lunch, we're comparing notes and stuff, and uh, where are you meeting? I say, oh my gosh, we're meeting at Flores Elementary School, and he said, well, you know what? I put my name on the waiting list for Fairfax County for a school, so why don't you just call him up? You got one of my key couples, why don't you call him up and tell him you're me? So I said, is that fair? And he said, yeah, don't worry about it. 
Evangelical Baptist, where you went to school, David. This is, this is what we do. We lie to the government. Um, so I decided I would not lie. So I called her up and I said, hey, remember me? I'm number 37. Well, listen, we have part of the core team of a church that was already on your list. They're not a church anymore. He told me we could take their place. You think that would be okay? And to my shock and amazement, she said, I don't care. <laughs> and I said, well, is that fair? And she said, well, sounds like it to me. One name, another name, I don't care. And she said, what was the name of the church? And I said, Dulles Church, I think was the name of it. And I said, what place are they? She said, first, you go to the next school. So I said, I think we could have Rachel Carson. She said, I don't see why not. So God is faithful. And that became a great place for us to meet and do church for a number of years. You know what? I don't have time, but seriously, he gave us this place just as remarkably. You know why? Because God is faithful. I don't have time to tell you about some of the connections that people were making. I don't have time to tell you about Hallie and Don Cranford's small group and how we prayed for Tammy and Chris Jones by name before they even came to church and how we prayed for Scott and Maria Causey before they came to church and how important they became to us. I don't have time to tell you about Jack and Jen Marie Hopkins and I don't have time to tell you about their neighborhood that Maria Causey called Smallville because they had a small group of people who were coming to know one another and connecting with Jesus Christ for the first time and meeting in a small group together, and just how transformative that was for us. Not to mention them. It changed our whole community. That little community. I wish I had time to tell you more of the ways in which God was faithful. And for the first probably eight years of Gateway's history, it was slower than we wanted, and it was harder than I thought it would be. But everything we did was up and to the right. For you, that would be like that. We saw growth in our numbers, and we saw growth in the people who were connecting to God, and we saw growth in our groups, and growth among our children, and growth among our teenagers. Next week, we're going to hear about the period when we didn't see growth and some of what happened. And I want you to be here. And I want you to remember that through that, God was still faithful. And I want you to know this morning that I don't think you're here by accident. And that's not just because we need you. We do need you. I'm going to be honest. We need you to roll up your sleeves and get busy. But I think we need it, right? When I'm telling Gateway's story and I have more time to tease this out, I call this chapter one. And chapter one was about experiencing the provision of God and the faithfulness of God. As we developed, as we grew, we saw God provide through our efforts, through our plans, through our prayers, and sometimes quite apart from our efforts. In fact, sometimes in spite of our efforts. I want to make this clear. Next week we will hear about struggles and challenges. And we will still proclaim the faithfulness of God. So what do we do now? We seek, we rely, and we wait. And we build a resource facility so that God can raise up a church.
for this whole region. God is good all the time.